Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you here today. Uh, our key scripture this morning comes from James chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn over there. It'll be in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 27. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, I have to be um, completely straight with you in this moment and let you know that I have very rarely in my life felt like an orphan or widow. I have very rarely in my life felt like I have been overlooked or cast aside or unnoticed or uncared for. And this last week I was driving down to Pepperdine for the Bible lectures and I was on one of those long stretches of I-5 where there's not a lot out there, you know, and I heard a pop, and my tire started to deflate, and so I safely got over to the side of the road and went over and checked, and sure enough, as soon as I get out and around my car, I hear this hissing noise, and a hole about the size of a dime has blown out in my tire. So I have a spare, though, and I'm a capable young man. So I get out the spare. Well, I, first I open my trunk. I get the stuff out of the trunk. I open the back door to the car, put my stuff in the back seat. I get out the spare and the little handy tool that Ford has given me to change my tire. And there are six lug nuts to loosen. So I loosen five and I get to number six. And number six, the tool will not seat on the lug nut. It just won't do it. And the lug nut is starting to strip as well as the tool. So now I can't loosen the last one. So I have to call State Farm roadside assistance. And I'm, I get there on my phone, and I'm, I'm texting with State Farm roadside assistance. And I look down. I, I'm sitting. Now my, my, my passenger door is open as well. And I'm sitting there, and I'm looking down at my spare tire sitting on the ground. And my spare tire is moving. And it's moving because there are hundreds of bugs on my spare tire, these little tiny little things. And I look at the door frame of my car, and there are hundreds of bugs on the door frame of my car. I look at my legs. They are all over me. So I finish up with uh, State Farm roadside assistance, and I am standing on the side of the road. I, I Actually, at first, I kind of roll my car forward, thinking maybe there will be fewer bugs up here. <laughs> oh, that was, a, that was a wonderful moment. But I'm waiting for roadside assistance, and I get a text that says roadside assistance will be there in under an hour. So in the meantime, I'm trying to get bugs out of my car, off of my stuff, but like everything was open. Everything was open. About an hour and 20 minutes later, <clears throat> I was still waiting for roadside assistance. And uh, I was walking back and forth on the side of the road. I'm like trying to, I don't know what I was trying to do. I was just waiting and waiting. Then I start getting texts from State Farm. Is, is your person there yet? No. Are you still waiting? Yes. Is your person there yet? No. Are you still? Uh, finally, these two guys show up in a, in a Prius with the front bumper falling off. And it turns out they had been pulled over somewhere, and long story short, I then had an hour to drive 47 miles to Les Schwab in Bakersfield on a tire that I wasn't supposed to drive more than 50 miles per hour on. And I made it. I made it. But here's something that really sticks in my 
throat just a little bit. I was on the side of the road for more than two hours, and no one stopped. Not a single person. Not a Kern County Sheriff. Not a California Highway Patrol. Not a traveling band from Oregon. No one stopped. And there I was on the side of the road waiting for someone to come and help me. And do you know how I felt? Like I didn't matter at all. Now, I share that story with you this morning because Randy's going to speak a little bit later about the work that we do in Mexico. But the truth is, I think for most of us, we don't have many of those experiences where we feel ignored or overlooked or left to care for ourselves or forgotten. And I have to say, just from that little amount of experience that I had, I don't like it. There must be a reason why God tells us to take care of each other. And not just those within the church, but anyone who has need. Because, church, we serve a God who loves who? Everyone. We serve a God who cares for whom? For everyone. And he calls us to have our eyes open as well. And to see those who are in need and to help take care of them. Amen? You may be seated, and it is time to dismiss our children. The young ones downstairs, the older ones, kindergarten through sixth grade upstairs. Where's the other thing? You broke it? Oh. Back to... Oh, oh, okay. Well, that's good. It died a good death then, huh? Okay. Uh, well, good morning again. Welcome, everyone. It's, it's good to have you all here uh, on this Cinco de Mayo. And as been uh, appropriately uh, promoted over the last few weeks, our, our big Mexico fundraiser today. And uh, we mentioned the prices for lunch. Here's the deal. We want everybody to come whether you can pay or not, okay? So that's the deal. If you, if you can't pay or if you've got a dollar or five dollars, whatever it is, please come and have lunch, okay? Do not, and if you've got a large family and it would cost you a hundred dollars to have lunch, don't do that. Just come and have lunch and, 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 and spend time with us and check out the, the silent auction and uh, hopefully we'll have a few people to... For a sermon auction, that's gonna it's gonna be a little sketchy there. But uh, we, I think we have a few, so that's good. Welcome, Dick and Maudine. Wow, it's great to have great to have you here. Hope you had a great week down in uh, Malibu, Pepperdine. Uh, oh, good, that is good. Uh, I think uh, Mike and Vera were down there. Uh, Bryce, um, Vera. Uh, Mike and Trellis were there. Um, Nisha was there electronically. A little bit. Via Skype. Uh, we'll hear more about that. Anyhow, it is really, uh, for those of, those of you that are newer here to our congregation over the last few years, uh, Dick and Maudine were here. Dick was our minister from uh, mid-70s to the end of the 80s, kind of? That, that, that 89. And then from, from here, uh, they launched... Uh, World English Institute, WEI, which has gone, um, spanned the globe to teach the gospel um, of Jesus through the vehicle of teaching people the English language in, other, in foreign lands. And uh, what a great ministry it's been over, over 30, 30 years now, huh? Wow. Um, I, I think probably Dick and Maudine have influenced more people for Christ than all of us in this room collectively. And so it's, it's really a, a great honor to have you here. Yes. Um, let's um, let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you once again for this day, for your blessings, 
for the victory that, are, that is ours in Christ Jesus, um, for your presence in our lives, for your salvation, for your hope, for your strength, for your courage that is within us. Thank you, God, for so much that we, um, we can never properly um, say to you. Uh, I ask that you bless this time um, over the next few minutes as we share thoughts from your word and from who you are as our God and what you have done for us through the work of your son Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We started, uh, I was trying to remember asking Bryce when we started, but he said it was January of last year of 2018 where we started going through um, this lengthy and fascinating journey through the story. And um, the story, as we all know, because we heard it week after week after week, but it, it is the, the perspective of the Bible as one continuous narrative, a, a story, as you will, if you will, not, not necessarily the, all the different books and the sections and all that, but, it, but as a narrative of what God um, has done. And we focused on the, the identity, the nature, the character of God, because ultimately that is what the story is about, right? It's about God. But there would be no story if it weren't for us, right? If God did not create the universe, did not create our world, did not create humanity, there would be no story for us to talk about or to study. And so the story draws our attention to this fascinating interaction through several thousand years of our recorded history, this interaction between God and us, His creation, whom He loves with all of His being. And then intertwined with this journey through the story, we have been wrestling with our identity as a church of God's people. Who are we in relationship to our Creator? What is our vision and mission? What are our values? Where are we going? And so, perhaps without realizing it, over the course of the last year and a half, we have all become practicing theologians. Now, how many, of you, how many of you see yourself as a theologian? We have one. I knew, I knew there'd be at least one and two. There's three, four. Okay, four, five. We, okay, we've got, we, we've got four or five who, who kind of identify themselves as theologians. Well, what is a theologian, you might ask? What is a theologian? A person who engages or is an expert in theology. Okay? Okay? So that in, okay, so okay, does that help out? So if you're either engaged or an expert in theology, you're a the, theologian. Okay? Well, what is theology? You may ask. The study of the nature of God and religious belief. Okay. So if a theologian is one who engages in the study of theology, and if theology is the study of the nature of God and religious belief, there you go. Have we not all participated in, been engaged in, the study of the nature of God and religious belief. Have we not all been doing that for the last year and a half? So, what is the conclusion? You're all theologians. Okay? So, because we're all theologians, what happens when you, when you complete a course of study and you become what you've been studying? You graduate. You graduate. You get a certificate, a diploma of some sort. So, I think we should all have them. I, I printed up a couple examples. Here we go. So, this certifies that Michelle Torres has successfully completed. She's recognized as a theologian. And, and Sterling, too. Okay? So, so, Ster, so we, have, we have... And then I can print up the rest for all of you, too. If you, and there's a place there for uh, the minister to sign and one of the elders to sign. And so we can print those up and everybody can, can frame this, get a beautiful frame, and put it up on your, on your wall in your home. And you can say, hey, look, I am a theologian. Okay, so that's, there you go. Congratulations for completing the course of study. You are star students, by the way. Okay. Okay, so we've all gone through this process. What are the implications about our understanding of God? What are the implications? Um, 
Our beliefs shape us. They shape who we are. And would you agree with me that uh, for those who believe in God, our central core beliefs about God shape who we are. They, they shape how we, how we think, what we feel, what we do, how we act. That, that shapes who we are. If we, if we truly believe in God and we believe that we are in this relationship with God, those belief systems shape what we do, who we are, just our whole being. And so it's important for us, and so this has been a very important course that we've gone through to really collectively really understand what are the, what are the core things about God that are important, that Scripture teaches us about God. Yeah, there's all sorts of stuff, right? There's just there's there's a lot. There's there's too much to kind of go through. But there's a lot of people in this world who haven't gone through the rigorous course of study that we've gone through, okay? And they have certain beliefs about God. They they may have some predominant beliefs about God that may not be uh, that may not be balanced, that may not be complete enough, that may not be thorough. For and uh, let's just think about it. Let, let's say. Let's say you're a person and your predominant belief about God is that he punishes wrongdoers. Your predominant belief about God is that he punishes wrongdoers. Now, you realize there's a lot of people in this world that that is their predominant belief. And it's evidence in our news every week. Someone walks into a synagogue and shoots people and kills them. Somebody walks into a mosque and shoots and kills people. Somebody walks into a church building and shoots and kills people. Why? Why would they do that? Besides from the fact there's some, probably some mental health issues there, there's got to be a belief system that says what those people are doing are, is wrong, and I've got, to, I've got to take care of it. I've got to punish those because that's what, that's what God does. And if I believe in God and that's what God does, that's what I'm going to do. Whether it's blowing up churches in Sri Lanka or blowing up an abortion clinic, whatever it is, people in the name of God and their belief system do these heinous acts. And so what we believe about God is important. What about if the predominant belief system is that, that, that God loves everybody, he accepts everyone, uh, he, um, he tolerates everything uh, that people do without respect to, to their personal choices or, or lifestyles. A lot of people have that kind of viewpoint about God. And while it may not be as, as dangerous as the other extreme, it what kind of what kind of things might that person what behavior might that person have everything's okay everything's okay all paths lead to god you believe what you want to believe i want to believe what we want to believe and and we just we all try to get along well that really in practice doesn't work it really doesn't work i mean it may sound good but it really doesn't work and it doesn't deal with the truth because there is truth. And so what we have wanted to do over the course of this year and a half is really nail that down and really come to an understanding of, of what we believe about God. And it, just, and it doesn't necessarily express itself in, in these uh, huge ways. It, it expresses itself in our day-to-day -day interaction with our lives, right? How we treat the person at the grocery store, how we, how we drive. I mean, that basic, right? I mean, how we, how we drive through a school zone or a residential neighborhood or to the person who cuts us off, right? Because what is embedded in us is our belief system about God shapes who we are and how we act and what we do. What is typical of us, though, as human beings, is uh, we tend to create God in our image. 
um, an image and belief about God that fits our already kind of formulated belief system and our biases and our prejudices. That's kind of what we do. And so there's to support that belief system, we Christians or followers of God will often kind of cherry pick certain scriptures throughout throughout the Bible and and to support their belief system about God. And that, that becomes and they're all it's all scripture. There's truth in all of those things, but it can be a very dangerous thing to 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 do that. And so again, what we've done over past year and a half has been very important, I think, because we've tried to look at the whole story. What, who is God in, in his totality? Some people may that aren't Christian may rely on talk radio or a spiritual guru of whoever's popular at the time, a best-selling self-help book, whatever is out there, people may latch on to as their belief system and then that, that informs how they live. What I appreciate about what has taken place here over the last, the last year and a half is the desire and direction of our leadership to collectively wrestle with and identify what we believe to be the core and central truths about God and then to shape a mindset, a vision, a set of values that attempts to articulate that in very simple, straightforward, understandable language. It's not easy. God is big. He's vast. He's too hard to describe. He is He is incredible. There's so much. We, there's, a, there's a whole big, thick book here about God. How do you boil that down to a few simple statements? But we've, we've done that. And, we've, and uh, you know, it, we have this. We believe that the love of God in Jesus changes everything. Now, that's simple. It's easy to remember. But, boy, is it big. It really is big if you, when you start to, to unfold it and to, uh, to talk about what that really means. And so I'm going I'm to identify a few things this morning. And uh, I'm, I'm going to take us back through a couple, couple places in, in the story before I get to where I'm going, because I think it's important to, to have that, that foundation. Um, one of the stories we looked at was the story of Ruth, Naomi, and, and Boaz. Do you remember that story? Um, it's, it's a really powerful story. You have these really incredible heroes in the story. There's, there's Ruth and there's Naomi, and then there's Boaz. And, and each of them brings a certain aspect to the story that just makes the story itself fascinating. But what I really like, uh, particularly about that story in, in relationship to what I'm doing today, is, is Boaz, what Boaz does, how Boaz goes about his business and his life. He believes in God, and that belief in God and who God is and the character of God shapes his character, right? And what, is, what does Boaz do? What are some of the things that Boaz does that reflects the character of God? What's that? He's a good employer. He's a great employer. And, and what does he do after he takes his employees and he harvests his field? What does he do? He, the, the gleaning, the, the, the biblical concept of gleaning so that people can go get food and have dign- they can work for their food even though, you know, they're poor, and they can and they can go and they can get food. And what else? Do, what else? He does several other things throughout the course of the story. But but what's I, I just really? What's that? He's a protector. He's a protector. There's so much he does, and and you know that his life is shaped by who he believes God to be, and what God has done for him. And so everything that he does reflects that. Um, in, we, didn't, we didn't delve a lot into the, into the prophets uh, in the course of the story, but there's, there's a particular... Uh, we went, what, what are some of the cycles that we went through as we went through the story? What, are the, what were the cycles? People believed in God. The, the nation believed in God. They prospered. Things were good. Then what happened? They forgot. Things went downhill. 
things got really bad, and they cried out to God. God rescued them. And so this cycle, this cycle, this cycle. Well, you know, it's like a sine wave, right? Up and down, up and down, up and down. And so in the 8th century B.C., uh, they're kind of they're on the downside of this this cycle. Things are going from bad to worse. Uh, and the, the, the kingdom is divided. You have the northern tribes, and then you have the southern tribe, Judah and uh, Benjamin, and then you have the northern ten tribes. Right? Am I getting that right? You theologians out there. Uh, and so God raises up these prophets to speak into their situation, and for the uh, for the northern tribes, there's, um, I, I have this written down here, it's Jonah, Amos, and Hosea. Okay, so we have these, we have these written books of the prophets uh, where they are speaking into the situation of the nation of Israel, and it's Hosea, um, Jonah, and Amos. And in the south, the southern tribes, there's Isaiah and Micah. And these five prophets speak into the condition of Israel and Judah during this time, and things are bad. Um, things are bad religiously. Things are bad politically. Things are bad socially. They've gotten off track again. And one of the, one of the symptoms of what, how things are going bad is how they're treating people, their ethics, their, uh, the injustice that's going on, how, how they're treating the poor how they are exploiting those that they can exploit, the foreigner, and whatever they can do, they, they're doing. And they're going through the religious practices, but they're just empty rituals. And so God raises up these, these, these prophets, and there's, there's a common theme through, through much of these five books, and it is that God hates idolatry, he hates injustice, he hates rebellion, and he hates empty ritualism. And so, Micah, Micah speaks into this, and he brings judgment. And in, uh, in Micah, Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, there's this response. God speaks into this situation, and, and Micah responds for the, uh, on behalf of the people. And in Micah 6, uh, verses 6 through 8, he says, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What is it that, what possibly can I bring before God to recompense for the all these heinous things that my country, my nation is guilty of, that my people are doing. And the response is this in verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. He's shown you. You know. It's obvious. God has made it obvious. He has shown you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Doesn't sound that hard now, does it? Act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Why does God ask those three things? It reveals His character. That's what He... It's His character. He acts justly. He's, he loves mercy. And he's holy. He's holy. And he simply wants us to walk humbly with him because of his holiness in recognition of that. If we, uh, if we go back, we go back to the beginning when he's brought, he's brought the people out of, out of Egypt. We read this in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 10. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you. 
giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners. For you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. He has shown you. He has shown you. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. You were the foreigners. You were the exploited ones. You were the ones who were being mistreated. You were the poor and the needy. And what did God do? He rescued you. You, above all people, should understand the nature of God. So when God makes his covenant with his people, he, he, there's, a lot, there's, there's a lot there in the covenant, right? There's, there's, there's too much, just really. But there's a lot there. And so, but a, a really important theme throughout the covenant language is this idea of taking care of those who can't take care of themselves. And so we read passages like this in Deuteronomy 24, 14 to 15, 17 to 18. Do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. In Exodus 22, do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. In Leviticus, again, uh, chapter 19, do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. But fear your God, I am the Lord. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself. For you are foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. Now we may read that and say, okay, yeah. yeah. But this was, this was big. Because, I mean, you think in several thousand years ago, life was was rough and it was dog eat dog and you know you had to take care of yourself. And so who who was the easy prey? The weak, the powerless. The foreigner had no standing. They didn't have any clout. The illegal alien, they had no clout. No one to stand up for them. And so they were the easy prey. The poor, the fatherless, the widow, easy to exploit. The psalmist talks about a reason to praise God in Psalm 68, verses 4 through 6. Sing to God, sing in praise of His name, extol Him who rides on the clouds, rejoice before Him, His name is the Lord. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoner with singing. But the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. This poetic language, to, to, again, to reveal to us the nature and character of God, who he really cares for. Psalm 82 is an interesting psalm. I, really, I hadn't really paid attention to this psalm before, but... It's really it's it's a fascinating psalm. It's short. There's more to it than there's these first four verses, and there's I think uh, three or four more verses. But the scene is in verse one here. God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. You notice how the gods is in quotes up there. So so it's it's kind of like this courtroom scene, and and God is in the assembly and he's rendering judgment among the gods. Who are the gods? Well, the gods is a kind of a derogatory way of say, the leaders of the nations, okay? The leaders, the kings and leaders of the nations, who are they in the eyes of their people? They're, they're gods, right? And so 
So the Lord brings into his courtroom the leaders of the nations. And this is what he says to them. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? And this is his call to them. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Do you think that taking care of people is important to God? I think it is. I think it's part of His character. It is, and it, when we go through that study and we realize who we are in relationship to God, we understand what that, the call then is on our life. I want to come back to our, our statement over here on the wall. We believe that the love of God in Jesus changes everything. I've come to really, really, really like that. And here's, let me explain why I really like it. It's not a mission statement. We wrestle, I mean, we've wrestled with many over the course of, I've been here a long time now. I'm an, I'm an old timer now. I hate to admit it, but I am. And we have wrestled with mission statements um, at various stages. And mission statements are important. Uh, most companies, most big companies or you know, companies of any size have mission statements. Even small ones have mission statements. And it, and it, and it helps identify, clarify, and boil down what, what they're about. And, and they're, really, they're really important. And they're helpful in communicating uh, and keeping people focused on what, what the main mission is of the, of, of the company or the organization. But I really like that we start with a belief statement rather than a mission statement. Because at the core of it, as I've been talking about, our belief about who God is and what he has done is core to everything else. It's core to our mission. We can then define our mission. We can then define our vision. We can then define our values because we believe that the love of God in Jesus Christ changes everything. It changes how, what I believe about God, how I understand God, because what he's done for me throughout history and particularly what he's done through his own son and how much he loves me, what he has done for me through Jesus and how that changes everything. It changes how I look at the world, how I look at life, how I look at my neighbor, how I look at myself. It, it goes to the core of our being, of who we are. And once we can identify that core of our being and who we are, then doesn't our mission and our vision, our values become much clearer and more understandable then? So I really appreciate that we've gone through this process and, and we've got to this point. Because I think once I realize that I am the sinner that has been shown mercy, that I am the enemy that has been loved anyway, I am the prodigal that was welcomed home, I am the orphan who was adopted by my father. I am the alien who has been granted citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. That changes everything. It changes how I see and, and, and look at everyone. Because I'm, I'm shaped by what God believes and what God thinks and what God feels not what the predominant political belief is. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. 
What? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It harkens back to Hosea. Remember the names of the children, the illegitimate children? Not my people. Right? Once you were not my people, now you're my people. Once you had not received mercy, now you've received mercy. And that changes everything. It changes everything. Bryce read this scripture earlier. I'm just going to pick out the last verse. James 1.27 Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. There's a lot there to unpack, but again, it reflects the heart of God. Who does he care about? Those that can't take care of themselves, the poor, the needy, the orphans. About 20 years ago, in fact, it was 20 years ago this summer, uh, this we had been taking uh, groups down to um, Mexico, to Baja, to uh, a town near the city of Ensenada, to a place, uh, a ministry called the City of Children. And we've been going there for several years. And we, through the course of a couple of years, we learned of another ministry that was about 15 miles up the road, up in, up in the valley, the Guadalupe Valley. And so four of us traveled up there. Uh, Mike was part of that group. I was part of it. Um, Christy Cleef, who's probably across the way, is, was part of that group. And we, we traveled to uh, the town of El Porvenir in the Guadalupe Valley. And we discovered a ministry there, um, similar to what we'd been working with, but, but there, were, there, were some, there were some big differences. One, it was out in this small farming community, and it was set in a, a kind of an agricultural setting, and it was called Rancho de los Niños, and we went there, and here was uh, an organization, and they, they brought in children that were, that were orphaned or, or uh, abandoned or re- perhaps removed from dangerous home, home situations, family situations. And they cared for these children and, and raised them up. And basically, that was their home. That's where they grew up, was on the ranch. And they, they, taught, them, they taught them skills. Um, they farmed. They, they learned how to do things. And they taught them about God and about Jesus Christ. And we went, wow. We want to be a part of this. This, this looks really... We felt... And they said, we, we would really appreciate it if you would come and help us out during the summer. And so the next year, the year 2000, we started going to Rancho de los Niños. And, the, and, and really, when you think about this, this call to go and help, to bring the good news of Jesus, which is about salvation, but it's about transforming lives. It's about making life better for people for giving them hope and a reason to to keep on and a reason to believe and a reason to want to change their situation. And and so we were excited. Dick, I don't know how many, how many, how many times have you been over to Albania and 28. 28. And so it's not just about, it's not just about, you know, preaching the gospel. It's about going and being the gospel. It's about making relationship with people. It's about being the face of Jesus to people, right? It's about not just talking about the love of God, but showing. He has shown you. I want to show you. He has shown me. I want to show you. And so that's what we do. We go. And it could be next door. It could be downtown. It could be halfway across the world to Albania. It could be to Baja. It could be anywhere. It could be to China. But you go and you show. 
Because we have been shown. He has shown us. And so we go, and lives are changed. And, and not just you go and, you know, somebody changes. You, you develop relationships with people that last for a lifetime because now they're your brother and your sister in Christ. Friends. Lifelong friends. And that's what we have down there. We have lifelong friends. We've been to their weddings. We've seen the birth of their children. They've grown up. They were, they were, we first met them, they were little snotty-nosed kids and bratty teenagers. And now they're, they have families of their own. They're married and they have children. And they come back. They live several hours away and they come back and they spend the week with us. Because the love of God in Jesus Christ has changed everything. It's changed everything. It's no longer superficial. It's no longer, hi, how are you? So what is God doing in your life? And so we keep going. We keep going. And we keep going. Because the snotty-nosed kids today and the bratty teenagers today in 10 years are going to have families and they're going to come back and they're going to be with us and we're going to have a lifelong friendship and fellowship in Christ. And we're changing the world one kid at a time, right? And we're helping Mexico develop into a stronger country because they have stronger families, people that love God and are following His ways like we used to. And so, we have some children we support and that we love. And, and I'm going to show some pictures here. You've seen these pictures. This is Brenda. And back on the, the table back there are three sheets for you to sign up and send notes and cards and gifts to. And so, uh, and there's Luis. And the final one is Valentin. He's a cutie. So these are the three kids that, that we, uh, there's about 40 children in the, in, the, in the orphanage now. Beyond the orphanage, we reach out to the entire community and we do vacation Bible school and 200 kids from the community come and we teach them about the love of Jesus and how it changes everything. And it's a wonderful thing. And, and you know what, you don't have to go, you don't have to go there to be part of it. Maybe going to Mexico isn't your thing. That's fine. My wife doesn't go. It's not her thing. It's okay. But you can still be involved. You can write letters and you can send gifts. And when you send them a gift, you'll get a note like this. Charles and Sigrid Smith. Gracias por las cosas que me mandaste. Dios vos bendiga a los dos gracias. That's the first time you've seen that. I got that a couple of weeks ago. I wanted to save it for today. So we're involved and we're, and we're reaching out one child at a time to share the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. So today... Uh, we're going to have a, a, a lunch. And um, I already told you, right, just come. I already said that at the beginning, right? Just come. I don't care if you can pay or not. Come. Just come eat. Hang out. Uh, a lot of the Mexico Mission teams are already over there uh, getting ready. And uh, they didn't want to be in here because they hear me for a whole week down there in Mexico. <laughs> so it's like, don't want to listen to Randy. Got to listen to him for a whole week. So anyhow, we believe that the love of God and Jesus changes everything. And it changes how we see people. It changes how we see those in foreign countries, those who are oppressed. It changes how we see those in our own country. 
the alien in our own country. I hope it changes how you see them and treat them. I really do. They're people that God love. Whether legal or illegal, they're people that God love. And he has shown us how much he loves us. Okay, I guess I'm done. (laughs) So, um, thank you for being here this morning. I I hope that what we've done over the last year and a half about has has changed how you see yourself, how you see God, how you see other people. And I hope that it really focuses our mission for this church in the years ahead to, to showing people what God has done for us. He has shown us. Let us show them. Let us show our communities, our nation, and the world at large uh, what it means to be changed and to be transformed, to have lives like that. Um, we're going to sing a song. We're going to stand and sing a song. Uh, we have some elders up here to pray. Um, if you have prayer needs, please come up. If, if, you want to, if you want to get off the fence and, and say, I, I want to be changed, um, it's a good time to do that. So... Um, we're ready to stand, we're ready to sing, and we're ready to praise God and rejoice in changed lives that are ours. Let's, let's stand and sing.